Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I, I think that I am now retired, and I'm, I'm trying to get used to the feeling that I'm retired, and it was... Uh, a time of reflection already. I, I know that on my last day at work, um, we have a staff meeting and all of the staff were together and they'd got some cupcakes and some refreshments and they asked me if I could give some highlights of the, the years that I worked there. And I think just at the Regency, it was eight or nine years and not counting the years at the hospital, but I really couldn't tell them the things that were important to me because they wouldn't completely understand. I wanted to stand up and say the times that I would teach and I would minister to the people, the residents that were here, the times when the presence of God would come in and I had to fight back the tears so I could minister to them. I'd like to tell them the times that I had to stop and ask them those, those that were sitting there under my teaching, do you feel what I'm feeling? Can you, can you sense the power that's here? But I also would have probably told them of the disappointments that I had in, in some of the limitations that were placed on me because of my position. And I, I, the sad point was, and I, as I was driving here, only one under in eight years, we only baptized one. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, Steve, that's uh, you've got to stop looking at it that way. Think of those that you, those lives that you touched outside of your ministry, the family members, and the funerals, and the things that you did. And see, I think sometimes God has to grab us and try to open our eyes and open up our ears so that we can understand that the things that we want to say aren't always the things that are specifically designed in the plan that we're living. See, I believe that every one of us that was born from the time you were conceived in your mother's womb, from the time the spark of life entered into your mother's body and your heart beat for the very first time, I believe from that moment on that God saw your end from your beginning and that he called you and he designed you for a specific reason and a purpose. And he set you into the current of life so that you could affect those that you would come in contact with. Not every one of us would be visible, as visible as the next. And each one of us would have different gifts. And each one of us would have different responses to, uh, to our ministry. But nonetheless, everyone fulfilling their call to their ability would change the world. And God doesn't look at you as just an individual. He looks at you as a part of a picture. A, not a corporate picture. A spiritual power present on earth. I'm reading from Matthew, the 13th chapter. Verse 15. Revert to verse 17. Matthew 13, verse 15 to 17. For the heart of this people 
has become dull. With their ears they hear, with ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and return, and I would heal them. How many times did I sit back and say, Lord, how in the world can people sit under what they're sitting under? And we go over the scripture so clearly over and over again. How is it that they want to be here, but they don't want to obey what I've, I've shown them in scripture to do? We would talk, I'd say, Lord, I can't make it any clearer. It's just, I'm so frustrated. What is it that, These people love me, they trust me, they know me, they've known me for years. But what is it that holds them back from seeing what's so clearly presented when it's such a pertinent and powerful decision in their eternity? And the scripture would go back, they have eyes, but they refuse to see. They have ears, but they just don't want to hear. Lest they understand with their heart and return. And then I began to realize that the shackle that was binding them, it's, it's, it's a chain that has affected a lot of people for many, many years. It's the chain of tradition. It's the chain of change. I do not want to change. I think about how difficult it was for me to make the change in my life. I, I felt like I fought it tooth and nail right to the very end like I don't want change but yet I know I should change and all of us if we're really honest with ourselves do not like things changing in our life jumping down to Luke the 22nd chapter verse 10 we're just about entering into the time of the passion and uh, the Passover is going to be coming up very soon, and we always remember the, the betrayal, the death, the burial, the resurrection. And here we start to read, uh, this is the last, just before the Last Supper. This portion of scripture is going to talk to us about Jesus' last meal with his disciples, the ones that he loved um, before he gave his life on Calvary. Everything was planned out perfectly. It says in verse 10, And he said unto them, Behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitch of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And you shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto you, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? This was already established. This man was well aware that someone was going to come to him and ask to rent his guest chamber. Maybe it was a dream. Maybe I don't know exactly how it all came to pass, but they said, when you meet this man carrying this water, what are the ch- I want you to go into a condom walk today, and there's going to be a guy carrying a book. Talk to the man, and he'll show you what you need to do. What would you say? There's lots of people in a condom walk. There's lots of people, not so many more. If you asked about a cell phone, it'd be many more, but a book. But see, the Lord was teaching them that everything is foreordained. Everything is falling into a pattern. 
Nothing is haphazard in the crucifixion. His death, his betrayal, his burial, all that stuff was already foreseen many, many years before it ever would come to pass. And they went and found, as he had said unto them, and they made ready for the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down with the, and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. In other words, this is a very special time to me. I think when we get older, we start to have more spiritual times like that. We say to our children, I, I want you to know that this just isn't another Thanksgiving to me. This is a very special time for me. This, this is a time when the ones that I love and that I've invested my life in and who I'm watching grow, who I'm so proud of, we're all getting together in one place. It's not just the food that we're interested in. And that's what Christ was saying. I have gathered the 12 individuals that I have invested three and a half years of my life in. I have brought together 12 individuals that the fate of the world lie in because they're going to propagate the gospel message and the things that I have taught them to others. And it's a very special time, and I love them. But things seemed to be a little bit off-center that night. In John, the 13th chapter, verse 21 When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. He saw again, like I had said, the end from the beginning, and he was looking at the ones that he'd loved and trained, and he realized that one who he did love was about to betray him and actually lead him to a place of imprisonment, torture, and death. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples, his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I give a sop when I have dipped. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, the words are spoken, correct? Who's the one that's going to betray me? I'm going to dip my sop, and I'm, the, the one I give it to is the one that's going to be the one that betrays me, but none of them catch it. And I, I feel like I, I'm standing in front of my group, and I'm, I'm telling them something, and this is exactly the way it is, and here it is presented, but none of them, and it, it boggles my mind, realize that it was Judas. He just said... The one I dip the sop in and I give it to is the one that betrays me, but no one saw it. They had no idea that it was Judas because in their mind they had preconceived ideas. Their, their eyes were not seen. And their ears were not necessarily hearing what Jesus was saying. Even to the point, the last meal they had together, they were all tuned in on their own selves. Is it I? Is it me? And I think the, the problem with the church, more than anything else, is it's always looking 
at itself. It's always looking inside instead of looking outside to see what God is trying to reveal to them. Is it me? Am I going to fail God? Am I going to let God down? That were the thoughts in his mind, their minds. And then I find a very interesting verse in verse 27. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Not beforehand. It didn't say that Satan had entered into him before the stevia state. It didn't say that Judas was, was already under Satan's control. Not at all. It says that Satan, after Jesus gave him the sop, after, and the sop was a type of his body. Remember, my body is broken for you. Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Drink, this is this wine. This is my blood that's shed for you. Symbolically, he was partaking in that last supper of the communion of Christ with betrayal in his heart. He had no respect unto the body and the blood of Christ. And when it came to that point, as much as Jesus tried to hold Satan off, he let loose and Satan entered into the heart of Judas. I think that Christ doesn't ever really give up, but this night he said, okay, you've determined to do the thing that you've planned on doing I give up. Go and do it. Go and do it quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that you have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out. And it was night. How appropriate For us, the church, we're not of the night, but we're of the day. But Satan is of the night. He went out into the blackness of night. Jesus said, I'm the light. But when you reject Christ and you turn away, you walk into a place of darkness. And in the darkness, there's no clear visibility. Everything's shadowed by the blackness. When you reject light and you take the blood and the body of Christ with no respect, with devious plans, you walk away from the light and you walk into the darkness. You cannot hear the word of God. You cannot have it delivered to you on the plate of life and reject it and expect to have the sight that God wants you to have. Each time, the shadows grow deeper. I was thinking about this verse in particular tonight in Luke, the 22nd chapter. Jesus knew that Satan was trying to attack him at the center of his his power on earth, and that would have been his 12 apostles. He was investing power, his power, in the church. And you shall receive power. After that, the Spirit of God comes upon you. I give you power over all scorpions and all the things of the earth. So Satan was trying to attack the source or the spigot 
by which God's spirit would be sprayed out upon the world. And he didn't like it. Satan didn't like it. So he thought he would attack the source. There was something about Peter. I, I do feel that Satan sits back oftentimes and studies God's anointed. He sits back and he, he gets his little notepad out and he tries to figure out what their weaknesses are and how he can derail what God is trying to accomplish. Because what he's going to accomplish is going to be accomplished through people. It's going to be accomplished through people like you and me. And he said, the Lord said unto Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Don't you think that Christ saw Satan and the powers of darkness as it, it hovered around his disciples, wanting to harm them? What was it that stopped Satan from doing what he wanted to do? Jesus held Satan back. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, I find that a very interesting thought, by the way. When did the conversion of Peter take place? When he was baptized by Jesus? Because remember, the scriptures say, and we'll get down to that verse in a little bit, that Jesus only baptized his disciples. When did the conversion of Peter truly take place? It could not happen before Calvary. We teach that. We believe that. Because it's the blood of Christ that removes sin. It goes back and reassures us in what we preach that Peter was converted on the day of Pentecost. In other words, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. You must be born of water and of spirit. So I have to say, well, people say, well, you know, the thief on the cross, he was saved before Jesus died because he said, today wilt thou be with me in paradise. But I say to you, here's one of the 12 that has walked through three years and performed miracles through the hands of, of God's power, and he's not converted until the day of Pentecost. I, I just see, I, sometimes I see it so clearly and I can't understand why people can't see it. But let me ask you a question. What's the difference between Judas and Peter? And he said unto him in verse 33, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, verse 34, the cock will crow this day, but before that thou shalt deny me Thrice, thou hast, shall thrice deny that thou even know that thou knowest me. Here we have one that sells him for the price of a slave. And here we have another one that denies him at one of the most critical points of his life when he stands in judgment for his own life. It goes back a little bit to the Passover meal that happened earlier that evening. Let me go back and just share something with you from the Old Testament. 
The difference between Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial. Exodus 12, 1 through 15. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months, it shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it, according to the number of souls. Every man according to his eating shall make uh, your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male for the, of the first year. You shall take it for, or from the sheep uh, or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Now we know this is a, not just something that happened in the Old Testament. Jesus was actually killed on the, the Passover. He was going to be the Lamb of God which took away the sins of the world. He was the true Paschal Lamb. Notice what it says here in verse 7. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and the upper door post of the house wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast it with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire its heads with its legs and with the putinance thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. Now, one of the things that I understand happened that one night was that they were commanded to stay within the house, that they partook of the lamb. In other words, here was the doorpost to the house. Most of the homes back then only had one opening. If you were wealthier, you might have an extra door to your home, but most homes only had one opening. And so when you walked into the house, there was blood on the right doorpost, there was blood on the left doorpost, and there was blood at the top of the doorpost. So that when you took of the blood of the lamb that you were going to eat of in the home that night, you were walking under the lamb's blood. And as long as you stayed in the house where you partook of the lamb that night, when the death angel came and took the firstborn, it would not affect you. But see, this was the first plague. Well, maybe the second, because the plague of darkness was different too, because they had light in their apartments or their homes. But this plague was going to be against anyone, Jew or Gentile, that did not obey. This Jew incorporated, incorporated everyone alike. I dare say that if the Egyptians would have walked into the homes of the Jews with the blood sacrifice, they wouldn't have lost their firstborn. But those Jews were commanded to stay there, and as long as they stayed under the blood, they were safe. But if they walked outside, their life was God's, their child's life, or if they were the firstborn. The difference between Peter and Judas was Judas chose to walk out from underneath the blood. See, we're all sinners. I, I'm no different than Peter. I failed God all the time. I, I fall short of what God expects me to do. I fall prey to the sin of omission. The sin of do, knowing what to do and not doing it. 
I fall prey to the sins of the mind and of the heart. But the difference between me and someone that is under the blood, that decides to walk away, is that they have willfully chosen to walk away from the one that can deliver them from death. When you walk out of this church and you turn your back on God and say, I am done with the church. Now, some people, it's a point of detention. Some people say we're the temple of the Holy Ghost. No, we're, we're, yes, we are, but we're also part of the body of Christ. The church is the bride. We're the ecclesia. We're the group of called out ones. The blood of Christ we become the, the mother of those infants. If I choose to walk away from the church and walk away from that, that door, which is Christ Jesus, and walk out of, from underneath that door, I become like Judas. And Satan, at that point, has a right to enter into me. But a blood-washed person that abides in the house of God, even though he has weaknesses, and flaws, as long as he lives under the mantle of Christ's authority and continues to walk in the light as he is in the light, Christ is in the light, God protects him. Because if that was not so, none of us would be protected. Remember, Judas walked out from the place where they took the Passover. And he walked out into the night and Satan took control. So I, I had this thought years and years ago and uh, as long as Christ holds on to you, Satan has to hold off. It's a fearful thing to fall out of Christ's hands. Satan cannot take control until Jesus lets you go. Or in other words, as long as Jesus holds on, Satan has to hold off. But if you reject the blood, there's no more offering for sins. Scripture says God said to Moses in the book of Exodus in verse 21 of chapter 33, and the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and thou shalt stand upon a rock. That's the place that I want to be. I want to be standing by him. I want to be standing upon a rock. What does Satan look for when he looks at an individual? The first thing that Satan looks at when he sees a pure person is he looks to see if the blood is there. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? He was talking to those people that are trying to cast out demons using the name of Jesus without the blood of Christ applied to their life. He says, I don't know who you are. Where's, where's the blood that identifies you with the one that you claim to serve? 
If you claim to serve Jesus, Satan's going to ask for verification and say, show me the blood. When I went down into the waters of baptism, I was covered over with the blood. It covered me over. And even though I can't physically see it in my, with my earthly abilities, the spirit world does. We sing those songs. I'm covered over with the precious blood of Jesus and he lives in me. We are buried with him in the waters of baptism, Romans 6. And when we celebrate communion, and we probably will uh, in the next couple weeks, communion is the celebration of the shedding of that blood and the power that it represents to the church. And Jesus said, I want you to do this in remembrance of of me. And in, in sort of wrapping it up tonight, I was looking at John the sixth chapter. This is sort of a, a perfect example of what I had said earlier where people choose not to see. In John 6, verse 26. He's looking at a group of people that have gathered and the place that this is actually taking place in uh, that location is uh, the synagogue in Capernaum. And if you look to verse 59, it'll tell you that you don't need to turn there right now. We're going to get there. That the location of these words, Jesus is speaking in a synagogue in Capernaum. It's believed to be the largest and oldest synagogue in that city. Matter of fact, it's even said that this was one of the oldest synagogues that we know about. So Jesus is looking at those that are there, and he says, answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, the Father, God has set his seal. Do you know what I'm sealed with? I'm sealed with his Holy Spirit. God put the seal on Christ. The seal, as a child of God, is placed on me. What is a seal? It's a sign of of authority. Again, a king would take his seal and seal a document, making it a legal document. I say, where is your seal? And from whence did your seal come from? God sealed Christ. Christ sealed me with his spirit. Therefore they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Well, according to some people, that can't be true because we're not saved by works. Doesn't it say there that believing is a work? Or did I read that wrong? And you know what? Believing is a hard work. It's probably one of the hardest things I've had to do. Baptism was easy. I just went down in the water and it covered me up. Oh, that was a piece of cake. But the hardest thing for me in my life is believing and obeying what God has given me to do. Lord, I believe to help all my unbelief. 
So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? What a dumb question. Because in a few minutes, I'm going to show you all the works, some of the works that he performed in Capernaum. How many works do you need to see? But they're asking for one in particular. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread. Uh Uh-oh, get ready, hold on. Jesus said to them, guess what? I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you, and you have seen me, and yet you still don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on that last day. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he said, I'm the bread of life or bread that comes down out of heaven. You know, if Jesus came and preached from this pulpit, we might have a good turnout, but there'd still be people that would walk away in disgust and anger, even if Christ appeared here, because they would refuse to hear his words. Everyone would come for the show, but not everyone would stay for the meal. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he know? He now say, I've come down out of heaven. Jesus answered and said unto them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come unto me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. The word that stands out in that verse is heard. You ever sit across from the table with your spouse, or if you don't have a spouse, with somebody else, and have them say, you haven't heard a word I said? Yeah? Uh-huh. Or have someone say to you, my table is, earth to Stephen, earth to Stephen, come in, Stephen. In other words, I'm present, but I'm not listening. And then I lie. Yeah, I heard every word. Well, I did hear every word. I just didn't listen. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now, not, not, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who has come from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
what is the bread? Somebody give me an answer. What, is it, what are we talking about when we say eating of the bread? What is the bread? God's word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When I eat the word or when I apply the word to my life, God, God's life enters into me. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread will live forever. What are we doing tonight? What are we doing here tonight? We're eating, aren't we? Is this the word of God that I'm reading? When I eat the word and I accept the word, and I follow the word, I am eating life. Why would someone fast from something that they needed to live eternally? I love to eat. I really do. I think if I had to give up the la one of my five senses the last one would go would be the sense of taste. I said, when I can no longer eat, just let me go. Because then I have nothing else to live for. My spirit is the same way. If I'm not hungry, I get concerned. You ever go a day or two and you haven't had anything to eat? Aren't you getting a little worried about why you don't have an appetite? You get concerned. I better go to the doctor. Something's wrong with me. I don't, I'm not hungry. I'm losing weight. Does you ever think about why you want to miss church? Why you don't want to listen to the word of God? Doesn't that concern you? That you don't have an appetite? These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, I'm going to finish up with this chapter and I'm going to close tonight. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and their life. But there are some of you who don't, do not believe. A person that does not understand the importance of the word and the life that comes through the word does not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was who, that would betray him. And he, said, and he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Wow, that was a powerful message that he preached that day in the synagogue in Capernaum. 
As a result of that message, verse 66, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Sometimes preachers feel like failures when they try to preach the word of God and people leave because they're preaching it straight. I wonder if they'll sit down and talk with Christ and Christ will share with them in heaven about this time in Capernaum when he preached it and tried to reach out to them with his hands and his heart and they walked away from him when he offered them everything and they rejected it for nothing. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away also? Do you? And here would be my answer in my own uncertainty because the disciples didn't completely understand what Jesus was saying. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He didn't say, I understand exactly what you're saying. He just said, there's no place else to go. You're the fountain of life. You're my only hope. Even though I don't understand, I still believe. Jesus answered them, and then he talks about Judas. Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of, he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Do you know what the word Capernaum means? It means city of comfort. I think sometimes in our nation, our comfort becomes our own comes a, a cross that we carry. We become comfortable with our life. This was a, a city that was prophesied about in Isaiah. Those that sat in darkness saw a great light. Light has sprung up, it says in Isaiah. It was in the synagogue in Capernaum in Luke, the fourth chapter, verse 36, where Jesus cast out a demon from a man. And they were all amazed and spoke, saying themselves, what a word is this, for with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirit, and they come out. In this very synagogue, Jesus had cast out an evil spirit. In this very city, remember the story about the man that was a paraplegic? where Jesus filled the house where he was teaching and it was so filled with people that the man that needed a healing that was paraplegic, they tore the roof off and lowered him down into the house where he was. And Jesus looked at the man and said, thy sins be forgiven you. And they got all upset again and said, who can forgive sins except God? And Jesus said, to show you that I can back up my words on who I am, I say to this man, take up thy bed and walk. And the man that had never walked, who was paraplegic, picked up his bed and walked away. Isn't this the same city, the same synagogue, where these people are saying, what work do you show us? Isn't this the city where the Roman centurion who came to Jesus, his servant, was dying? And he asked that Jesus would just send forth a command or send forth someone to pray for him and he would be healed? Didn't Jesus do that? And the Roman centurion's servant was healed that very hour 
by the command of Christ, not even being in the place where the servant was. He just spoke the word and the servant was healed. Did others forget about the time in Capernaum where Peter's mother-in-law was sick and had a fever? And Jesus touched her and she was healed immediately and ministered unto them? How about the synagogue's, synagogue ruler's daughter? Did they forget the ruler of the synagogue whose daughter had died? Could it be the same synagogue that Jesus was speaking in? That he went into their home and the daughter was dead and laying on a cot and Jesus walked in and said, I think it was Tabitha Rise. That's found in Matthew, the ninth chapter, verse 23 to 25. Did they forget? Have you forgot? Have you forgot the times in your life where Jesus has did something supernatural for you to show you that he loves you, to show you that he has power and that he can deliver you? Have you forgot? Do you know that five of the 12 apostles, five of the 12 came from Capernaum? We have James and John who were brothers. We have Andrew and Peter that were brothers. And we have Matthew. Capernaum saw so much, yet believed so little. What about the church of Christ that sees so much? I saw someone that was blind healed. I have saw miracles. I have saw tumors in my own life disappear. Brain cysts and all sorts of things. How can I say I have any doubt? How could you? Unless you're not eating properly. I, I'm as guilty as everyone here. I got a lot of fingers pointing back at me and I sometimes think preachers preach the best messages to themselves. And they say, boy, that was for me. Well, really, if you want to know the truth, the preacher was really preaching to himself and he just let you in on a private conversation he was having. I can remember driving truck many times and listening to sermon after sermon after sermon and worship tape after worship tape, and laughing, and sometimes wondering how I was even keeping it between the lines, having a wonderful time with God. And sometimes I, I, I wonder, why don't you do that as much as you used to do it? What's changed? I'm living in the city of comfort. I'm getting comfortable. But woe, woe, woe. For Christ has come to disquiet the comforted and comfort the disquieted. If you get too comfortable, I am warning you tonight, if you become too complacent, he who the Lord loves, he will chastise. And I find it's always better to act first to correct the problem before the strap comes I remember how my brother used to get beat. Those were happy days. 
But I would remember many times he would say, Dad, I won't do it again. I promise I won't do it again. I won't, I won't, I won't. And then I would hear the sound of the strap. But you know what? It, it became less and less frequent because sometimes we, we think that we can run to our parents and say, God, or Dad, Mom, I know I disobeyed you, but I won't do it again. And he says, you know what? You have to learn that there's a price for your action. That's why I'm not a firm believer in some of the discipline methods that are around today because if there's no price for your action, you'll continue to commit the action. And so I'll share this last thought with you before I stop. I'm sitting here, I've been wrestling with something for months now. And I, I, it's, it's like a giant. It's not a sin. It's just, it's, I can't understand why I have this, this problem with the spiritual thing I'm thinking about. And I say, Lord, where, where's this coming from? It's not sinful by any means, but it's something I'm battling. And the Lord reminded me of a dream that he'd given me years ago about a, a spirit, it was a spiritual warfare dream. And it, he revealed in the dream how that when I, I, I prayed in, in power and in might, when I gave my heart to prayer, how my sword would glow in the dream. It would glow bright red. And when I would bring it near evil spirits in my dream, how they would fall back and they, they'd be afraid. But I remember now in the dream one spirit that was much larger than the others that was not easily intimidated. And as I sat here tonight, I felt like the Lord said, it's not what you think it is. It is not you that you're wrestling with. Satan has desired to sift you like wheat and he has sent a spirit into your life to sidetrack your faith. Now I'm going to ask you, we're all scholars here. What do you do when you have a spirit that's come into your life? Now you can say that it's just coincidence. Do you stir yourself up and take authority over that spirit? How many times will you swat at a fly while you're sleeping at night? As many times as it does, you have to to get the job done. You aren't going to stop swatting until the fly's dead. And I dare say if there's a mosquito in your room, you've got up out of your bed and turned the light on before you've even went to bed and searched all over your room because you know as soon as you lay down, that mosquito's going to land on your forehead and you're going to hear him buzzing around you. Why won't you do that when you sense an evil spirit? And the best way to know if it's of God or not, God has not given us a spirit of fear. If what you're feeling is causing you fear, what you need to understand is that's not of God and that is a spirit that you're going to have to get out of bed and fight. You can pull the covers over your head, but after a while you begin to suffocate. You have to come out. So I realized tonight, you know what? 
I've been fighting the wrong way. I need to just stand up and get rid of this spirit with the sword that God's given me and with the power that is given to me through the name of Christ and get rid of it. Will it go away forever? No, it may come back, but I still got the sword. Let's stand together. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, tonight, you have done so many wonderful works in each one of our lives. <laughs> if we were to sit down and get a piece of paper, and maybe we should. Maybe we should do that as, a, as an assignment. But to write down, just even in the last 10 years, the things that you have done in our lives that, that have been miraculous, from healings to deliverance and supplying needs that we had. Help us to believe even though we don't understand. For Lord, there is no one else, there is no other place on the earth that I can run to outside of you because you are the source of life. And Lord, tonight we lift you up. We allow that blood to cover us over. We accept the spoken words of life that have been preached tonight that they might become part of our spiritual existence, that we can become strong warriors in this world we live in. And we give you all the praise. Give you all the praise. If there be any spirit, and I want you to pray this with me, because I know I'm not speaking to myself tonight. Some may be troubled by this. If there be a spirit that has been hounding you in your mind, Right now, as collective body of Christ, we, in the name of Jesus Christ, take authority over every spirit that is not of God, of Christ. We bind that spirit in the name of Jesus. It will not manifest itself in our thoughts or in our lives. We cast it forth from us. And we give Christ the praise because we're covered with his blood. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Let's give the Lord a hand clap offering for what he's done. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I hope you're renewed tonight. And when you go forth from this place after we've prayed, I pray that you got a bounce in your step and you got a reason to get up in the morning and uh, face the world. Just remember who you are. Remember whose you are. In Jesus' name, this altar is open. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.